I'd like to turn to Luke chapter 1, please, with your electronic devices or Bibles or whatever you have. Good to have you with us, folks. So welcome to this service. Thanks, guys. Let's continue to worship the Lord as we read his word and listen to what he says to us. Luke chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few verses from a different, few different spots from Luke chapter 1. Commencing at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and degrees blamelessly. They were, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Verse 23. When his time came of service... When, sorry, when his, when, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. And now verse 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Did you know that Elizabeth was the first person to call Jesus Lord? And I must admit, when I thought about doing this topic, I was wondering, I don't think I have ever heard a sermon preached on the person of Elizabeth. Has anyone? I'm sure you have. Yes? Yeah, you have? Dave, you've probably preached it, mate. Well, if you haven't heard, you're about to hear one this morning, so we better pray, hadn't we? Let's continue to meet the Lord. Father, we thank you for your presence with us here this morning as we enjoy the joy of the Lord here in this place and in our lives. Help us to delight in you. Help us to be awestruck by your name. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, afresh, that we may behold you and marvel once again at your great and awesome name and the person that you are and all that you mean to each of us, all that you're doing in our lives, all that you have done and doing now and will do as we walk with you every day. We ask your blessing, Lord, open our eyes and our ears to your word. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Elizabeth, in Luke's gospel, Elizabeth, whose name means oath of God, is described as the wife of the priest of Zechariah. In her old age, 
the Bible says. Miraculously, she becomes the mother of John the Baptist and is also described as a relative of Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus. Now, the backdrop uh, to this, this delightful story is that Israel spiritually and politically was in a dark place. The spiritual leaders were in spiritual bondage themselves and they were shackled to tradition while others were given over to corruption. The tyrant Herod, King Herod, or King uh, Herod the Great, as, uh, as he was also known, great, I don't know what's great about him. He wasn't a great person at all, but he was a great builder, he was a great soldier, he was a great politician, but he was a tyrant. He was a wicked, evil tyrant. He had ten wives, fifteen children, and he actually executed his own kids, some of his own kids. One day, for whatever reason, he got disgruntled with one of his wives. We don't quite know why, and he executed her. So that's the kind of person he was. And of course, we know him uh, in Matthew's Gospel, where we know that he's the one that gave orders to murder those baby boys in Jerusalem two years and under because he was paranoid. He was a very paranoid king. And his kingdom felt threatened, and so he thought he would execute these boys. And you can read more about that. So it was a, life was cheap. And it was a very dark period of time in Israel's history. And not only that, on top of all that, I guess, it had also been 400 years since Israel had heard any prophetic word from God. Not since the prophet Malachi had promised the coming of Elijah in Malachi 3 verse 1 and then chapters 4, 5 and 6. And we know that the Lord Jesus affirmed in, in Matthew 11 that John the Baptist was the fulfilment of that prophecy in Malachi. Remember that? He said to that gathered crowd one day, uh, when John was imprisoned, and we know that when John was executed, but Jesus had said these words in Matthew 11. He said, this is, this is the one whom it is written, referring to John the Baptist. He said, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, he says this, Truly I tell you, among the, those born of women, there has not been anyone, uh, sorry, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And I've got to read on. Listen to these words. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Glorious hope we have, all because of what Jesus has done for us. A dark period of time, yes, but I also like what Warren Wiersbe says in reference to this story in Luke chapter 1. He says, no matter how dark the day, God always has his devoted and obedient people. No matter how dark the day, God always has his devoted and obedient people. I don't know, how, I don't know where you are spiritually or where you are today. Maybe you're in a bit of a dark place. Remember that, no matter how dark the day, God always, just leave it there if you like, he's always there with us, always there with you as, your, as his child. But may each of us here today in our church, may each of us as believers, uh, may each of us be in that place of being devoted and obedient to the Lord. No matter how dark the day may be, or no matter how dark the place we may be in, you may be in a, in a working environment that's pretty dark for you. God has you there because you might be the only light 
that anyone will ever see. So important. So the scripture describes both Elizabeth and Zachariah as being descendant from the priestly line of Aaron. The couple lived in the hill country of a town in Judah, verse 39. And we also read this, verse 6, chapter 1 of Luke. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So one would expect, wouldn't we, one would expect that in the light of their godly character and their devotion, uh, that the life of this couple, uh, that the life of the couple would have been, would have been and should have been without worry and woe, woe correct? Yeah? I mean, listen to how God describes, the scriptures describe this God-fearing couple. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Wouldn't we expect their life should be just blissful? Of course, the meaning of this verse is that they served the Lord faithfully, not sinlessly. All right? There's only one. There's only one who was born and lived a sinless life. The Lord Jesus Christ alone, the one whose birth we celebrate and proclaim every Christmas including even at our Christmas event night tonight. Hope you can come. Elizabeth and Zachariah, though they were devoted, though they were obedient, godly people, they still lived in an imperfect and sin-sodden fallen world. And they still suffered the same kinds of pain, the same kinds of trials and disappointments that you and I are subject to in our day. Listen again in verse 7, because I believe that God's word is highlighting for us this very thing. Let me read from verse 6 and verse 7 again of Luke 1. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But, verse 7, but they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. I read an article just recently... Um, BBC Online. I want to read you a particular article. Can you ever truly come to terms with desperately wanting a child but never having one? It's thought that one in four women, it's thought that one in four women born in the 1970s will reach 45 without giving birth. For those born in the 1960s, <clears throat> that figure is already running at one in five. The vast majority are childless through circumstance rather than choice. The article keeps going. Jessica, whose infertility is unexplained, chose to undergo 11 rounds of gruelling IVS treatment, get this, at a cost of £70,000. She has only recently paid off the debt. Jessica says that along with the disappointment, she also felt ashamed about what was happening to her. <clears throat> I think shame is a massive factor, she says, in not being able to, to have a child, feeling so just so desperately that you want to be like everybody else, but somehow you're not, and feeling ashamed that you can't do what everybody else does. You're hiding the fact that your disappointment 
and sorry, you're hiding the fact that your disappointment, that in your disappointment, that your life hasn't worked out the way you hoped it would. End of quote. I don't know if Jessica knows the Lord, but what a burden she's carrying. Christian here this morning, you carry burdens like this, release it to the Lord in prayer. Doesn't mean he'll always give your answer, but he will give you his peace. What a burden this woman carried. Now she's describing the feelings that no doubt Elizabeth and Zachariah both experienced. And in fact, Elizabeth confirms these very feelings by what she says after she knows that she's fallen pregnant. And she says these very words in, in verse 25. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour, and listen to this, and taken away my disgrace among the people. So there's still people today who feel embarrassed and ashamed that what they would like to do, they can't do, having children in this particular context. You see, even back in those days, <clears throat> particularly back in those days, people believed uh, that God would bless his faithful servants by giving them children. They believed that. So when that didn't happen, and couples were faced with childlessness, it carried a social stigma and often meant an unstable future and the end of a family line. So Elizabeth and Zachariah's lives would have been particularly difficult. And not only that, but barrenness being barren was usually believed to be the fault of the woman and was grounds, and was grounds for the husband to legitimately divorce his wife. And just on that note, one commenter made this point. He said, Zachariah displayed righteousness by standing by his wife rather than leaving her in favour of someone who could give him an heir. I don't know about you, but I can't help but wonder what happened in those days if the problem wasn't the wife, but it was the husband's. What happened then? Well, reading, reading from verses 8 to 25 in Luke chapter 1, we see the picture dramatically changes, particularly for Elizabeth. It really is a case of Sarah and Abraham all over. Rebecca and Isaac and Rachel and Jacob. But God, but God, just as in times past, was continuing to do amazing things, even in those who were considered to be barren and beyond the years of childbearing. I love how one writer put this. He said, God was once again kindling a fire with two dry sticks. So who's feeling like a dry stick today? Well, you better watch out because God might have a surprise for you. Don't do that, by the way. I'm not necessarily saying you feel your tummy right now, but, but you better watch out. Don't, don't, you just, just let God be God. He might have a surprise for you. And, and he works in unexpected ways to possibly rekindle a fire once again for his glory. God does that. 
But have you noticed as we read the scriptures that God, when he chooses to use, and he does choose to use us human vessels that he has made, have, have you noticed that God doesn't seem to have a real problem with age? Have you noticed that in the scripture? Oh, I'm just too young to serve the Lord. Well, I'm too old, says someone else. One writer says, there's no ageism with God. No ageism with God. We need to remember as we look at this story that God chose a young teenage girl, probably about 14, called Mary. And he chose an older woman called Elizabeth, who both gave birth to his chosen ones at just the right time. One of whom was the saviour of the world. And look again at the human vessels that God used to accomplish his will. Stand in awe and be amazed. God's not caught up with our limitations. He does amazing things. It's funny. God chooses people and I guess if the choice was ours, we wouldn't have chosen a young girl called Mary. We wouldn't have chosen Elizabeth. I'm glad God chooses and leaves us out of the picture sometimes. I think maybe some, sometimes you and I tend to put a bit more emphasis on age than God does. It seems to me that this godly woman, Elizabeth, was still content to be who she was, to be where she was, and to be when she was. That's the picture I get as I read this through. This godly woman, content with who, with where and with when. Because, you know, I think in all honesty, how many of us have at one time either wished or have said out loud at one time or another to have, we wished that we were someone else, perhaps to be someplace else, and to even have been born some time else. If only I was 10 years younger, if only I was 20 years younger, if only I was a little bit older, how many times have we said things like that or wished things like that or heard those things being said to us? But you know what? God sees things differently. One of the verses that the uh, kids read out to us last week came from Galatians 4, 4 and 5. I love this verse. So powerful. I'm going to emphasise something I want you to pick up in this verse. If you've got it, have a look at it. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption to sonship. But I'll look at Genesis 8 and verse 14. I'm going to emphasise it again. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. In this very passage that we're looking at today, notice the words that the angel Gabriel says to a disbelieving Zechariah. Verse 20, Luke 1. And now you will be silent 
and not able to speak until this day happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Kind of picking up where I'm going with this. We can rest assured that our Father in heaven, our Father God, who is perfect in knowledge and sovereign over all creation and time and everything else in eternity, will perfect his will using the appointed person at the appointed place in his appointed time. And we need to hang on to that. I think perhaps I meant to emphasise that for a reason this morning. Perhaps there's been some struggling about all that. You know, but no doubt, Elizabeth and Zachariah, they were human. And they still felt like their days were coming to a close. In particular, the weight of childless years upon them, pressing down on them. I'm sure they had moments when they were really down. But after the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zachariah, their lives would never be the same again. Not only would Elizabeth give birth to a son called John, but Gabriel spoke of six things that would characterise this baby's life. Six things that would come from the life that God would bring forth from her very own womb. Let me read those things very, very uh, quickly. Verse 14, Gabriel says these six things. He will be a joy and a delight to you. He will be a joy and a delight to you. Can you imagine, after so many long years of being childless, how this baby would be a joy and a delight to them, personally? But John the Baptist's ministry also brought joy to the Israelites who believed his message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 3, verse 3. And look, just on that note, I've got to tell you this morning, Turning to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin is the only true answer, is the only true way that you will experience true joy and true delight in your life. Only Jesus Christ can do that and only you by confessing your sin and repenting of your sin and asking Jesus to forgive you, he will fill you with his joy, he will fill you with his delight and you won't find that anywhere else. That's the beauty of the Saviour that we have. He is powerful. He's forgiven sin. But you've got to confess it. You've got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've sinned against you. Father, forgive me. I ask Jesus to come into my life. He'll fill you with such joy and delight. If you're outside of Christ today, the joy and the delight you have is a counterfeit to what you'll really have when you turn your life over to Christ. I've got to keep going. I can't say this to all of these things. I just felt burdened to say that this morning. The second thing that Gabriel said, he said that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. John the Baptist, be great in the sight of the Lord. And we've already seen in, 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 in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, how, how Jesus described John. No one greater has been born of woman, he says. Uh, number three, he says, he is never to take wine or fermented drink. Fourthly, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Literally, literally from his mother's womb. 
And we know that when Mary visited Elizabeth before John was born, the baby leapt in a womb, filled with the Spirit. God does stuff. Verse 16, fifthly, he will, be, he, will be, he, sorry, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. This is what this guy is going to do. Number six, he will go on before the Lord. John the Baptist was the Lord's forerunner, announcing his coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. This is who this baby was going to be. And God chose an elderly woman called Elizabeth. And through the prayers of her husband, verses 11, 13, he brought John into the world. And some of the other qualities that we see in Elizabeth are found in these following verses. Let me read them to you quickly. 39 to 45, once again. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. I want you to try and observe some of the qualities that we see in this woman, Elizabeth, in these verses. When she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, in the power of the Holy Spirit, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promise to her. You see, Elizabeth was there and she was available for God. She was there for him. She was available for him. She was in the right place. She was in the right time. And notice too, she was in the right attitude, in the right spirit. In that place with the Lord, where he gave her that revelation. And she was able to, and she was able to bless this young woman called Mary. She was there for God. Available to him. Are you this morning there for God? Are you available for him? We see these beautiful qualities in this woman. There was absolutely no jealousy. There was no envy towards Mary. But instead there was great encouragement and praise to the young expectant mother-to-be who had travelled, by the way, between 80 and 120 kilometres to be there with her relative. Elizabeth was there for God, but she was also there and available for Mary, which Mary needed for those three months that she had spent with Elizabeth. Can you imagine what that would have been like three months these two pregnant ladies together. Imagine the conversations they would have had. I can't, but many of you can. But listen, in genuine humility, Elizabeth, despite the age difference, recognised the greater blessing that God had bestowed to Mary. No feeling of threat or competition, none of that stuff. But in all her heart was able to praise God for what he has done in her life, in Mary's life. 
Praise God for that. Can we do that, brothers and sisters? Can we truly celebrate what God's been doing in each other's lives and not feel threatened or jealous or a little bit insecure? One writer makes this observation. He says, There is no sense of competition between the women as to whose son was the greatest. Instead, Elizabeth bursts forth in spontaneous praise of the Lord Jesus, her Messiah. That's what we need to do. Elizabeth was an amazingly godly woman who loved the Lord. She was devoted to him and she willingly served him, the Lord and, and his people, over many years of her life. Folks, this is the challenge I want to bring to us this morning as I close. In view of what you, picture you have of Elizabeth and the kind of life she lived, I want to leave you with this challenge. If the Lord Jesus, and in many ways he is, is standing in front of you this morning and he says this to you, would you also be there for me? Whatever I require of you, would you be there for me wherever I choose you to be? What if he says, would you be there for me whenever I require you to be? What would you say to him? God's saying to you, whatever he requires of you, wherever he requires you to be, whenever he requires it of you, can you say, yes, Lord Jesus? Yes, here am I, send me. What if it is to be baptised? What if it is to put your life right with God today? What if it is to be part of that team that goes to Hertford Street? I see in Elizabeth a woman who would answer those questions in the affirmative without any hesitation. Whatever, wherever, whenever. Yes, Lord. Can you say that this morning? Let's pray. Just like you to bow quietly and perhaps you might like to have a little dialogue with the Lord just for a couple of seconds and then continue that through your day. Father, we want to thank you this morning for your word to us. Thank you for the examples that we see in these godly servants of yours in the scriptures. Elizabeth being just one of them. Thank you, Lord, that she was there for you, available for you. Whatever you required, wherever, whenever. Lord, she was the woman that said yes to you. We see that in Mary too, Lord, know that. But we just see it in this woman, this older woman called Elizabeth. Father, would you help us this morning with great joy and delight in our hearts, unreservedly trusting you, believing that you have the perfect plan for each of our lives. They're good plans. Your will is perfect, it's good, acceptable and perfect. So may we, each of us, Lord, here today, unreservedly say, yes, Lord, 
whatever, wherever, whenever, Lord, we're yours. And Father, I believe that will please your heart as we once again perhaps need to verbalise, indicate that we're serious and we mean business with you. So we thank you once again for this time we've shared together. We want to continue to worship you. You're an awesome God. You've got awesome plans for us. Help us to be about that today, Lord, even through the carols, the fear, the fear that we have in the carols. Lord, may we be there for you and there perhaps for someone else as we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.